Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Audio Podcast. Woohoo! So, on today's episode, I have the lovely pleasure of interviewing my friend Amanda Justice. She is the front of house engineer over at Stubbs. She's been doing sound here in Austin for 10 years, and she is just killing it at the game here. So, I thought that you guys would really enjoy uh, talking to a self proclaimed house cat and uh i hope that you guys enjoyed this interview as always don't forget to like subscribe share with your friends leave a comment wherever it is that you're listening to this at we'll get right on to it with amanda justice trying to get used to um how to go about doing all of this because it's weird to me to like be interviewing people because I'm not an interviewer you want me to do what you want me to talk to you about (laughs) what I just wanted to have conversations yeah but I felt like for me at least with starting this like I had been so into podcasting for a while but I was like I don't know what kind of podcast I would have so then I went and was like I'm gonna do a podcast about music and then I was like Nah. <laughs> like, I was doing it and everything, and it was cool, but it sounded so boring. Like, I sounded like I was just, like, reading a script. And in a way, I was, because I wanted to, like, minimize all the ums and the likes and the, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the, ah, there's this thing. Yeah. And I wanted to minimize that, so I was like, oh, the best way to do that is to write a script out. And then I wanted to have all the right words, and I wanted to be, like, efficient. And then I was listening to it, and I was like... Oh, my God. Like, all the personality that is me is dead. Yeah. (laughs) And so then I was like, okay. And so I started listening to podcasting production podcasts, like, that are, like, about editing and, you know, helping people with, like, mastering their podcasts. And I was like, I could do that. I could, I can make that a business. Sure. And so then I was like, let me get into that. And then I got into that. And then I was listening to this one guy. He was like, you know, this is a great time to have a podcast. And I was like, it is. Tell me more. And he was like, you should, and if you're going to do it, you should find it to be something that's like in your field, something that you can talk about, something that, you know, is interesting to you and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, well, the only thing that I've ever felt like, like not disenfranchised, the only thing I've always been like, something I really wish I knew more about or, or had more connections to were women in audio. Yeah. And then I was like, huh, are there podcasts about women in audio? And then I like went and Googled and I found like no. none. <laughs> There's like a sound podcast that I've heard about. I've never listened to it, but yeah, they definitely, I don't even know if they've ever highlighted women in audio. Yeah, exactly. And so- it's a great time for that too, because when I started, there were like 10 of us. Yeah. And then... I don't know, just next thing I knew, I mean, there's, there's so many of us now, now we've got a sound girls chapter and like a lot of the higher up positions I know, especially in venues these days are taken by female sound engineers and we're taking over, dude. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, we look out for each other too, in a way that's like, it's a very competitive industry, but I love the way that the women tend to like take care of each other. Like I specifically, I know it's 
maybe not the most right uh, idea, but I will only train women because I feel like men have an automatic leg up on us every day. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been passed over for a man that knows half of my job, you know, for no, for no apparent reason, you know, is half as good as me, but gets the job instead. So like the whole point to us is to like support each other and put our, you know, put each other in these positions. And I don't, I honestly don't know a local female engineer that hasn't earned where they're at. You know, they know what they're doing. They put in the time, they put in the effort and I support that. So I think it's cool. You know, I get, I get job placement from, you know, Willa. And then, uh, in my place at the parish, I'm trying to bring up Anna, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, uh, it's really cool that there's so much more of that around these days. Yeah. Well, you're at the parish too? Uh, yeah, I've been at the parish for the last almost two years. Yeah, it would have been two years in December, oh actually. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm leaving. That's <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> I like the parish. Actually, I'm going there tonight, fun fact. So that's pretty cool. Oh, but you're not going to be there. No, I'm not. Aww. I have softball games on Tuesday <laughs> nights. So that's like, I've, I gave myself that. I'm like, you know, I was, I've spent 10 years taking every shift that was offered me because if you don't, somebody else will, and right. they, they might have the job. Uh but this time I was like, you know, secure enough in my job that I was like, no, I'm allowed to take Tuesday nights off for two months, you know? Yeah. <laughs> how, how does that work for you? Because I know, like, for me, like, and for my friend that I interviewed last time, she was talking about how, you know, when you're first getting started, you really have to, like, accept everything that's, yep. that's, take, that's given to you. You have to be out there or else you're not going to continue. So how did you get to the point where you were like, nah, I can, I can do this for at least a short while. Or how do you balance not being overexhausted, I guess, is sort of what it boils down to. Because in a lot of ways, if you're accepting every single thing that's given to you, you're going to reach a point where you're like, I am exhausted. Yeah, I am tired. I am burnt that. out. Yeah. So how do you manage that? Well, I mean, it took a lot of years of taking every job I was offered. Um, but I mean, at the parish, like... That was, you know, taking the job at Heard and working at Empire and Parish was the biggest thing I'd done yet. I mean, I came in as a young gun, and six months later, I was the head engineer. Mm. You know, so um, what I I make myself the most competitive person there. I make myself the most useful person there. I, you know, in this case, I did Dante training seminars, and I learned how to upgrade the firmware on the boards, and I, I learned how to solder and to repair cables and to maintain speakers and replace high pass, you know, frequency or high frequency drivers and that kind of stuff. And so I, I know the system better than anybody else. And the, the actual like head, head engineer is out on tour nine months of the year. Mm. And he's the only other one that knows how that shit works. So if anything goes wrong and frequently does, I'm the only one that knows how to fix it. So at that point, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can afford to take a Tuesday off. Because you're not going to replace me. You don't have an option to, you know. So how do you balance that with, like, helping people then? Because, I mean, there's always going to, I mean, with helping others, there comes the risk that they can also take your job, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you balance that sort of um, mentality? Because I know with a lot of 
guys that I have met, and not just guys, but people in general in the world are like, oh, I can't teach anybody else because they might take my job. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to share my knowledge because somebody else might one-up me. So how do you balance that then with that sort of uh, giving of information and training people and stuff, especially with women because that's what you... I'm very selective about it. And I've, you know, I've been in this industry a long time and I've networked and I know a lot of the local engineers. So I know their reputations. I know their backgrounds. I know their job history. So I know if they're job hoppers and, you know, they kind of scoop up people's jobs. So I'm real selective about that. And when I get to know someone new, I pay a lot of attention to that kind of stuff. So generally I don't, I put myself in a position where they know as much as they need to know. And ideally they're someone that's already pretty happy with their home situation so they're not really looking to make a big change. They're just kind of looking for fill-in dates here and there. So, I mean, yeah, I'm just I'm very selective about the type of people that I don't think will want to poach my job, which has been hard at the parish because that's one of those venues that everybody wants. <laughs> yes, they do. They all want to be there. And I can't blame them. That place is pretty freaking awesome. It's a real good sounding room. I wish. Uh, I, I, I got to go there to see Alan Stone a few years back. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's a great system. One of the best in town. I think 310's better. 310. But that's the only one that's under the moody. What what is y'all set up over at the parish, actually? It is all Nexo speakers. So we've got Nexo, I think maybe they're like four four boxes in each array on each side. And, you know, Nexo subs and monitors. Yeah, it's a full Nexo system. And Nomad designed it, so it's a typical Nomad setup. Uh, We've got the Dante and Rio Mm -hmm. digital boxes that talk to the board. And then we run the Yamaha, the Yamaha CL, yeah, five is at the parish. So it's a good, it's a good little system, bit complicated. Those Dante boxes were real hard to figure out for a long time. And even still, I'm learning new stuff on there. Like the other day we had uh, one of our Nexo distributors blow. And so in the middle of a sound check for a you know a touring guest engineer show i had to completely rewire the amp rack reprogram it um reroute <laughs> reroute through the board i mean it was you know i it took about 20 minutes but again i'm the only one there that knows how to do that so <laughs> man that's going to suck in december i don't yeah i i see myself having to go back and forth a lot and fix stuff why what happens in december I leave for Stubbs. Uh, wait, so you're leaving the parish and Empire for yeah. Stubbs? Same parent company. Wow. Yeah. Man. Nice. Yeah. Hey, man, that's cool, though, that you can give up two for one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I mean, does that, does that mean you're going to fill it with free time and, like, personal life, or are you just going to jump to, like, another uh, audio job? I won't need to. Um, I mean, Stubbs is full, full time. So, I mean, even with Parish and Empire, on any given night, they're running a show at the same time. So I can only take one. Mm. So it's not like I have extra days to choose from. I can just, the days that are available, I can choose venues. Mm. So, I mean, at best, I'm working, you know, five days a week. Sometimes there are the rare six, seven days a week. Sometimes there are two days a week. But this is a pretty guaranteed steady five days a week, you know, at a at a nice rate. So it's worth it. <laughs> That's good. Well, and it'll it'll actually be my room. I mean, the parish is mostly my room, but it was shared. Yeah. You know, it's it'll it would never actually fully be my room because there's what ten minimum ten engineers at that company, and 
you got to give them all work at some point, somehow. So, you know, this one, I mean, unless I need a fill in, it's actually my room. We're going to, we're coordinate, coordinating with Big House to replace the sound system and upgrade it. And it'll be a cool chance to really like design the system the way I want it and make it my room. And I think that's real cool. That is real cool. <laughs> that is super cool. Um, I always thought it was like the best experience when you can be like, I chose everything in here. It is now mine. Yeah. You touch nothing unless I tell you you can. Like the 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 OCD in me is like I want that one day so badly, which is kind of why I like podcasting so much yeah. so far cuz I've been like, "Oh, I don't like this. We're not doing this." <laughs> and there's nobody coming in here being like, "You wrapped the cable wrong." And then like having to yell at them because they don't wrap cables correctly or they just like throw mics inside of a yeah. box and I never have to clean up after anyone. <laughs> yeah, like it's... you're like this is all mine. <laughs> yes. And it's taken me a long time to get that cuz I mean that's the dream for sure, at least if you're going to stay a house cat. Yeah. You know, I I know at least a solid 50% of the people that are in this career don't really want to settle with being a house cat and want to go on tour. But dude, I'm, I'm engaged. I've got dogs, you know, I've got a family. I'm happy with my home life. I I don't, fly dates are cool. I'll take a fly date here and there, but I don't, I don't want to be on a stinky bus with a bunch of dudes <laughs> for five weeks at a time. Forget that. Nah, I'd, I'd rather be a house person. I mean, it's steady work. It's good pay. I get to work with amazing bands all the time. You know, because Stubbs is pretty. I mean, in general, Austin is pretty well set up in terms of like their live music scene, oh, yeah. um, and in how how often people come through and the variety of people. I feel like in a lot of cities, there's no variety, so it's always the same yeah. five punk bands who come through the, the same venue. <laughs> the rest are cover <laughs> bands. Yeah, you're just like, oh my god, I hate my life. <laughs> Or jam nights, God, if I have to run one more jam night. <laughs> jam nights are the worst. <laughs> and they like try so hard and you're like, I just want you to stop. <laughs> you get 40 different musicians on five instruments, you know. Yeah. All right, guys, we're changing it out now. We're like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> Let's just knock over the microphone through the process. <laughs> I'm going to play saxophone into the vocal mic and wonder why it sounds wrong. Even though this mic is clearly pointed down for a saxophone, I'm going to play into the vocal mic on a straight stand. <laughs> hey, it's the best idea they had. <laughs> they were like, yes, you will hear me. <laughs> That's all that mattered. What kind did not matter. It was just that it was a microphone. Yep. <laughs> oh, people crack me up. I, I... I think sometimes people are uh, are fun to watch in that way. Like, oh, yeah. like I remember like setting up shows all the time and just like watching how people would come in yeah. after everything was set up. Like, you get their rider, you're like, okay, I got these microphones for this, I got this di like DI plug-in for that, and then they show up and then they're just like, so it's this microphone for my thing, and then they start bending it down. And you're like, what are you doing? I have it very clearly set up the right way. You're making it right. Don't change the mic order. What are you doing? Yes. I, I love when that happens. They're just like swapping the whole stand. I'm like, could you people not just switch your body? Now I have no idea. Or even just talk to me. You know what I mean? I will move them myself and keep them in the order I need. Now I, now I have no idea who's on what mic. Nope. Don't even know. No clue. But it's also really, it's, it's a necessary proving ground for most new engineers. I mean, I did it. We all they go through it at some point. You have to do a stint on jam nights. And I think it's really important because it teaches you like the most important thing about sound engineering, which is 
keeping your cool in the most bizarre situations that make absolutely no sense, you know? I feel like that's that's the most important thing you can do in this job is you just have the weirdest shit thrown at you and you have to just be like, all right, let's figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. And even if you don't know how you're going to, one of my favorite things to say is like, this is what you want done. All right, let's put our heads together. You know, let me tell you the, the resources I have at hand. Let's put our heads together and see how we can make this happen. You know, that way it's not solely my responsibility and we kind of make a team thing out of it. So, yeah. yeah. I feel like if I hadn't had two years of jam nights under my belt, I may not have that same kind of cool demeanor. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But you can like pinpoint to that. I didn't really have a ton of jam sessions. Yeah. And then I ended up <laughs> at Sahara. And. <laughs> That's same thing. Yeah. It, it like, is. You have four it mics. Is. You need to mic a 12 piece band with six horns. Yeah. You're like, yeah, okay. That's not happening. Um, <laughs> I, I, but I did. I am so thankful for my time there, though, because Me too. I learned a lot about who I am and what I'm willing to accept. Yep. Um, I remember there was, there was a festival happening, and I just remember, like, in that moment, I knew what people had been saying to me about you know when to leave jobs and you know yes. when to um, stand up for yourself and you know when to say enough is enough and, and finding that balance. Cause I know for a long time I didn't know that balance. I was like, yeah, I don't know. How am I supposed to know when to give up? Like, cause money and jobs and living. Right. And, sure. and if I give up this place, then where do I go next? You know? And, and, and not, cause I didn't have anything lined up yeah. like at the time, like I was still trying to get people just to call me back. <laughs> like, or email me or just say, in general, show up at this place at this time and yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I remember like sitting there and just being like, I, I'm done. I, I can say I can leave and be okay. I'll and, figure something out. Yeah. I've yeah, done yeah. it before too. I mean, there are limits. I've, as, I can be cool and collected and I can handle anything you throw at me as far as it p- pertains to uh, the technology. You know what I mean? Like anything that relates to the actual specs of me doing my job, whether that's like setup or making bizarre mic situations happen or doing weird shit through the board that just makes no sense. That's my job to figure out. But the second you bring like personal stuff into it, you make a comment about my gender or you just in general treat me disrespectfully, I'm going to stand up to you. And I've, I've been known on occasions to really, uh, forceful yeah <laughs> yeah I definitely stand my ground I I had a situation where I was working for you know some some blues acts and a lot of the time and I was just like yeah I had a bunch of those jam bands under my belt 98% of the blues musicians know me and know my reputation are just like nah we're cool with Amanda the sound's gonna be fine this was a older gentleman that didn't know me and he tried telling me some shit about my job that was real like you know, anybody that knew half of the job would know what you're talking about. Like you're patronizing me at this point. And I just kind of laughed and, and I looked over at one of the blues musicians and I was just like, Hey, tell this man who I am. And then, and then have him come back and talk to me. And sure enough, the moment <laughs> I saw his face change and he looked at me and he came back and he was like, so yeah, you clearly know what you're doing. Thanks for working with us tonight and walked away, you know, but I have no problems being rude like, <laughs> like that if they're rude to me first. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll stand up for myself any day. And a lot of the time I kind of maybe misguided 
thoughts, but I mean, I feel the need to put men in their place and teach them how to treat the next female sound engineer that they work with, you know, and teach them what's not okay and what's okay. And, uh, for the most part, I've seen a lot of them really receptive to it. They're just like, oh, I didn't even realize that this could be interpreted this way. I'll think about that next time, like walking into the venue immediately and going, where's the sound guy? You know, like, well, I don't know. <laughs> There's no sound guy here that I know of. <laughs> I love that. I've had that happen so many times. And I've been like, what are you talking about? Like, okay. Or do you ever get it where they're like, where you're sitting there and somebody will walk up to you and be like, hey, so uh, are you the waitress? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, no. Nah. Or like, I've had people walk up to me and just start like writing off like what their drink order is. And I was like, this means nothing to me. Like, I, I always like look at them and be like, oh, the bar's over there. Cool. Give me a hard cider while you're over there. I know, right? <laughs> and they're like, well, aren't you? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, not really. And they're like, so then why are you here? And I'm like, why are you here? Like, why are we talking right now? Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I'm part of the band. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm your sound engineer. And then they look at me like, oh, shit. <laughs> Do you ever get sweetie? Do people ever call you Hun. sweetie? Yeah. Darling. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> like, with like a passion. I usually will respond, though. Like, I've been gone so far as to like, it's usually the older gentlemen. I've gone so far as to respond to them with a, hey, girl, every time I see him. Or respond with like, hey, pumpkin. <laughs> You know, like, I'll give I'll give back to you what you give to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. I should think of that next time because that happens more often than not. Yep. And I think part of it's because I am younger, and people. Well, first off, people think that I'm younger than what I actually am. <laughs> Thank you, genetics. <laughs> and so there's that aspect of it. But the, the second aspect of it is I think that people think that when I walk into a space that I am just I'm too nice. A, like, but I'm naturally a nice person, okay? I'm all like sunshines and rainbows all the time, okay? Like, that's just my personality. Yeah. So people take that the wrong way. And they're like, oh. I see, I'm the opposite. I'm surly and I own my space from the get-go and you earn my attention. Mm. You, don't, you don't get my attention right off the bat. And yeah, a lot of those times I've had guys come in and where's the sound guy? And I've, I watch them wander around for 30 minutes trying to figure out how to do things by themselves before they approach me. <laughs> <laughs> no problems with that but yeah I own that space from the get-go you come into my space and we either work together or I make your I make your job frustrating because I'm not going to be helpful if you're a dick to me you know I'll do the bare minimum of what's required <laughs> in my job and that's luckily that's really rare these days and even still like you know there are times where People don't deserve my help, but I go above and beyond because it's it's a a company that I respect, or you know, it's a sold out show or whatever. But there are limits. <laughs> there are limits. Okay, I I wonder though, how would you advise somebody on that though? Because I mean, obviously, in a lot of ways, you and I have very different personalities, sure, right? Most certainly. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I would not consider myself initially for. Friendly, no. <laughs> and I definitely feel like um, in terms of personality, you fit in a little bit better with the concept of... Um, I act like a man. Yes, you're you're a lot more... I act like the male front of houses yes. that I watch. Right, and I am not. So what <laughs> what advice would you give for, for girls who are somewhere in between? Like, Because I feel like we're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. Own it. Right? Just own it. Own it. Hell yeah. Own your niceness or own yeah. whatever it is that you have. Hell yeah. Own whatever it is that you got, but 
set boundaries. Yeah. And I mean, that's it's that way for every woman in every aspect of their life. Be aware that you're allowed to set boundaries on what's okay and what's not. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's kind of a new thing that people are becoming aware of. It's like, oh shit, like I don't have to take this. Yeah. Set boundaries, but own your shit. <laughs> so how, okay, so what is like the best way to own it without being crossing into rude or abrasive or the negative stereotypes that people tend to associate with women when they try to okay i counter that offer though i watch rude and abrasive sound guys all the time that people turn around at the end of the show and they're like you were the best thanks for working with us and they they get forgiven they get excused so why shouldn't i be allowed that same thing and maybe every now and again i do come off as rude and abrasive but generally you've earned that and I'll still give you a good show anyway. So you won't be able to say anything bad about me afterwards. And do people turn around and say that to you afterwards? Do they come up to you and be like, Hey, that was a great show. Really appreciate you. Even though you were that way, even though I was, yeah. (laughs) Why do you think that is? This is one of those unique careers where the product of your work is more than the face you put forward. So if your work is flawless and undeniable and it's the best show and the best sound that they've ever gotten, they'll excuse a lot. (laughs) And the next time they won't treat you that way. And I've had a lot of that too, where I had touring acts come in. The first time was, they were pretty disrespectful. I stood my ground and was not the nicest person to deal with, but they still had an amazing show and walked away happy. And then they come in again and they're like, hell yeah, I'm super glad to be working with you again. It's going to be a great day. And we're friends from that point on, you know? Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I never really had that. I mean, I have to some degree, but that's interesting. Because, I mean, I'm thinking about, like, how... So management and stuff like that, you don't have any conflicts with that when you do stuff like that? Because no. they're just, like, you're doing no, your job with me. Really? Yeah, I'm a good engineer, and they know that I am only that way when it's earned. You know, and that's sort of part of setting the boundaries. And at that point, when they're that way to me, there's a there's a real good chance they've already been a dick to my production manager. They're going to be a dick to my bartenders. At that point, they're just like, nah, they deserve it. Give them a good show, but you don't have to be nice. You know, <laughs> because that's not necessarily part of giving them it's a good not. show. It's like, that's really just not. like icing on the cake. It's not when you watch it all the time. Surly sound engineer. I mean, at least I'm willing to also give you a good show because I watch, I watch engineers all the time. Like purposefully just they get mad and they walk away from the show they set they set what they need to and they walk away and I will never do that I'll never walk away from a show even if I'm pissed at you sitting with my arms folded the whole time I'll still be on stage helping with your changeover you know I'll still assist you with the board and get you familiar enough with the room that you can do your job to the best of your ability I mean the most important part of that is you just never take it personally you know some people are just uneducated yeah some people they're having a day you know they're just having a day and it doesn't mean you have to take it but you still got to do your job you got to do it well so no matter what happens the ultimate part of it is do your job and do it well like regardless of attitude regardless of personality conflicts like that doesn't matter because if you can say that you've done your job then there's no reason for them not to want not to hire you back or continue to pay you or whatever. Sure. And obviously there are lines you don't cross when you're mad at people. I mean, like I said, you never make it personal. Right. You never insult people. You definitely never talk down to anybody in front of people, like in front of other people. But, I, you know, I will pull people aside and like, 
I'll call people on their shit for sure. And like, you know, like I said, in a lot of experience, there are a lot of times where people are just like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm having a bad day. I didn't realize it was coming across that way. I'd say more often than not, that's usually the case. And then we have a great rest of the day. And sometimes, okay, so there's this like band over South by, <laughs> they're from Plano, Texas of all places. Like, so that day I had a whole bunch of French bands and they were a little misogynist. And I'm like, it's cool. It's a different culture. They just knew at this, I guess, knew it working with a female in power or whatever. And, uh, so I figured this band was, you know, somebody from a different country that just had different ideals. No, Plano, Texas. But we, in the email on the writer, it specifically says we will not work with female production staff. We require male and what was funny was it was myself on front of house. I had a female female monitor engineer. I had a female stage manager and one stage hand that was a male. So the three of us get up on stage. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so. We have a 15-minute changeover. So I'm just like, what do you need? What's your inputs? Let's throw it up. Let's go. And they're like, we don't need anything from you. Get off the stage. And then they point to the guy and they're like, hey, we need this, 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 and this. And he doesn't know what he's doing. He's a stage hand. He's yeah. not paid to be production. And... I mean, that was like a genuine, genuine conflict of just like it, you know, by all means, like I should have any right to walk away from this show. And I still sat and I ran the best sound for them they could have possibly gotten, got them kicked out of the venue right afterwards, but they still had a good show and it, it, it went on as planned. But yeah, I mean, in those cases, like I have, feel like I have every right to like, there's a conflict of personality. I don't have to be nice to you for that because that is uncalled for and unprofessional and unacceptable. And like, it was so bad that like it even went up the chain to the South by higher ups. And they're like, yeah, we'll never book this band again. That was absolutely inappropriate, but <laughs> I still gave them a good show. Yeah. Yeah. So they can't ever, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's you can complain about my personality all you want, but, <laughs> but like that doesn't mean anything if, if your work is, better than yeah you know so and so from around the block you know or yep. you know like this person over here who's like oh yeah i'm a great sound engineer and you're like, mm. but they're like super sweet and you're like yeah but your sound sounds like garbage <laughs> <laughs> but you watch that all the time you watch the guys that are friends that you know they're just buddies and they have half the experience you do but they get the job over you anyway and it just happens sometimes so you know no i have i have no problem with owning my personality, both positive and negative. And that's also the thing is like, I give you what you give me. So, you know, people come in and they're like, oh man, a female, a whole female crew. That's amazing. It's, we never get to see that. This is going to be a great show. And I'm like, hell yeah, it's going to be the best show you've ever had. And we're going to have a great time while we're doing it. Cause like you come in at me with a good energy and it's like, there's nothing better when you have that synergistic experience with the people that are coming in. I mean, that's why you do the job yeah. is to have that it's you and the band and it's a moment that you create in time. And like, then you throw in the audience and the bartenders, there's everybody that's there for one reason. And that's the most important thing is to realize, like, I'm not here to be an antagonist. I'm here to help you. Whatever I can do, I'm here to throw a great party and give you a good show, you know? So all of those moments make all of it worth it. And that's, that's what you strive for. And I mean, I guess it's the same thing too on my end is like, I have to make sure no matter what mood I'm in, no matter where I'm at, no matter how tired or hungry I am, I have to come in with a good attitude and I have to come in with a positive mindset mm -hmm. to give you that amazing show and to work with whatever is going to be thrown at me and not get frustrated or overwhelmed and to ask for help when I need to. So, you know, it's a, 
That way when they're coming in, they're not automatically coming into a surly engineer that's like, Ugh, I don't want to be here. I'm tired. And it just kind of ruins the whole vibe of the whole day, you know? But you run into that a lot, though. Oh, sure. Like a lot. <laughs> like that's like everywhere you look, right? Yeah. So that makes sense. Sure. So I recently heard, I don't know, that you got upgraded to ACL. <laughs> I t- well, I got upgraded within ACL, yeah. Um, I work, I've worked with Big House for... Man, maybe almost almost two years too. I kind of started Big House and Parish at the same time, so it's been a while. But I also, it's a lot of really heavy like PA setups and system installation and stuff. And last Thanksgiving, I had a stomach surgery and I had you know some of my lower intestines removed. So for about nine months of this year, I haven't, I wasn't able to lift anything and couldn't really take shifts with them. So I kind of sifted, be fair, sifted lower into the call pile and and. You know, over ACL, they're like, well, we got to bring in everybody because we've got small satellite stages that need to be run. And initially, they had me on the the Austin Kitty Limit stage, which was really fun. But I mean, it was like, you know, I didn't really get to mix. Maybe every now and again, I, I connected the iPod to the Yamaha and, mm-hmm. uh, or the iPad, and I would stand at side stage and try to mix monitors while, you know, the dude's trying to mix front of house from the... But I mean, it was a lot of sitting around doing nothing. About halfway through the first day, I get a call, and they're like can you festival patch? I'm like, hell yeah, I can festival patch. I mean, I've been doing, I pull a hundred bands in a week over South by for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. I can festival patch. And they're like, cool. Cause like the guy that is here is, you know, he's a, he's a corporate guy. This is his first festival. He maybe just isn't cut out for this position. We need to swap you to. So yeah, they, they upgraded me to one of the bigger stages and I worked my ass off that week and it was super fun and exciting. And it was kind of a fun experience because it was the first time that I've hopped onto that high pressure of a stage and just had a great time. I wasn't nervous. I never got overwhelmed. I was like, I know what I'm doing. This is my space. I have things set up the way they need to be. And it ran flawlessly. That was really fun. So for people who don't know, what is festival patching? Uh, it's essentially the setup that you're going to want for the max case scenario. So in this case, I had a production Bible that had for the, for my whole day, had the input lists for all the bands and I would kind of, what helps me out is to write out a list and I continue adding to the list of like, you know, this is going to be a standard rock band. So I know for sure I'm going to need a full drum setup, two guitars, bass, you know, I plan on four vocals and then I kind of, most cases slap four DIs across the front and one at drums because a lot of times we have an SPD. So at that point you got like maybe four to six vocals, you're going to have four to six DIs. I set up for four guitars, a bass and drums. And that's generally kind of a festival patch. But I mean, a lot of times, you know, I got like a Brazilian band. I got Leyline in. Um, God, I got Masego, who was like, his, his, his input was vastly different from what he sent us. And that was, we even still made that happen in 15 minutes. That was crazy. <laughs> oh, man. But like, yeah, so you set up for the max case possible, you know, and I, I look at what I've got in advance and I'm just like, well, there are going to be horns for this one. So I'm going to have... 357 set to the side so that all I have to do is patch them in at the end of the night. I have everything real well labeled. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's standard. It's like kick in, out, snare top, bottom hat, five toms. You know, I use a lot of extra space for toms because you get that a lot. Uh, and a lot of time you can also fill in like the last two with percussion or with, you know, their, uh, you know, a ride. Some people, sometimes people want a hi hat and a ride and overheads or you fill it with the like click track that's only going to go to the monitors. But, you know, you got like 12 channels for drums. You do bass DI, bass mic, four guitars, 
the DIs. And that's just so like, whenever you have a show, you've already got the space for it. You just have to like insert and call out to your front of house or, you know, if you're running front of house, yeah, I keep lists of just where everything is. It makes everything easier. Just be like, you know, acoustics going to be on downstage DI two keys are going to be on upstage. DI. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then you fill in the holes as you need. Yeah. Yeah. I like festival patching. It's very intense and very fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many how many festivals have you done festival patching for? <laughs> uh, oh. Shit. At least 20. <laughs> really? Yeah, at least 20. Yeah. That's a good number. Yeah. That's a that's a large number. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's I'm considering and that's like the minimum. I'm considering only two festivals a year for like 10 years of working at it, which, you know, would be like ACL in some form, which has usually been like unofficial ACL up to this year for me or uh, the ACL after, you know, the late night parts and South by. So, you know, and there's definitely more than that. Like we did levitation this year. That was super cool. And Waterloo and all sorts of stuff like that. So yeah, at least 20. <laughs> Festivals are a whole nother ball game. Mm -hmm. They are an interesting, interesting thing. I did uh, the Saturnalia Fest they do. Yeah, that one's intense, dude. That is super intense. I was not prepared for <laughs> for the intensity that was that. Festivals uh, mostly, are crazy. <laughs> mostly just because I didn't know I was supposed to be doing a festival. I was told I was supposed <laughs> to be like doing like one show on like a Friday. And I was like, okay, like whatever. That's not that big of a deal. And the next thing I know, they're like, yeah, we need you for the like, and I was like, wait, what? Um, I mean, and then like you know, you have people coming at you, and you're just like, well, I mean, I, first off, I need the money. Uh, will yeah. you pay me more? Yep. Because you passed, you're waiting until now to ask me. So uh, I'm gonna need more money. Mm -hmm. Number one, and then maybe yes. Okay, great. I know what the heck I was doing. I was making it up as I went, but it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I always ask for more money. I had a. The, like the head guy, Craig at, uh, at Herd, you know, and, uh, Chris Payard, man, she's my hero. She's, she's, I look up to her the most. She's the best female sound engineer in town. She's just, she's like, I know her. oh man, she's, she's amazing. She was like, if not the first, one of the very first female sound engineers in town. And she just, man, she ran shit. She's the reason all of us are able to have jobs and be respected is what we are. Cause she just, she came in and she owned it and she killed it, you know, and I look up to her so much, but the two of them, one of the things they really pounded into me was hustle, hustle hard. Everything extra they tell you to do, you want more money. They want you to work after 2 a.m., that's overtime pay. They want you to work over eight hours. That's overtime pay. They want you to record. That's an extra 50 to 250 bucks. You know what I mean? Like you hustle for everything extra they ask of you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So what defines extra then? Cause I mean, does it's extra like, okay, so you have your contract and they're like, Hey, this is what we want of you. And then everything after that is considered extra. Or well, even still, man, I just say in general in in general, and like the way things work worked for me now is like it's an eight hour minimum, so it's an eight hour minimum day uh flat rate up till then, anything over that is overtime, and I get paid extra for overtime, like I do not get paid a flat day rate for a sixteen hour day. There's no way in hell I'll do that unless that day rate's like five hundred dollars, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of time they're like, it's 150 for the day. And you're like, yeah, that's like, like $10. And like a 13-hour day. No, no, I don't yeah. do that. And and like it's standard that if I have to, if the show goes till 3 a.m., anything after standard 2 a.m. sound hours, I get extra for, you know. 
Um, I don't, I don't ask for anything for early calls, just except for that overtime for having a long day. Cause especially with the touring gigs, they expect you to get there super early and that's just part of the job. It's not outside normal hours. So, but yeah, recording, I, I always charge extra for because in some way or another, you're going to be promoting and or making money off of my creative product. I know, I understand it's your band and it's your performance, but it's my interpretation. So I'm going to ask for extra pay for that. That's pretty standard. I mean, there are some venues that I really like their policy that's like, you know, it's this flat rate for three bands. Anything over three bands is festival pay. So a lot of, you know, there are a handful of venues that respect that extra time and engineers. And I definitely gravitate towards those venues that offer those up front because you know they're going to value your time and your work. That's good. Yeah. So do you get credits for those? Like when they rec- when you record for them, their shows, do you get credits? Do you I get credited? I honestly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there are a handful of ones that have come to me after the fact that are just like, yeah, you know, we put the credit for you on the album. And it's like, yeah, I don't really ever ask for it. I mean, it's kind of like in the studio. If you get paid a certain amount of money up front, it's because you're waiving your chance at the back end. You know, so like, I don't really... And a lot of the time, like, it'll say, like, live at the parish. That's kind of also why you pay, is they're promoting the venue, not you as the engineer. Mm. So, no, I don't really honestly know. <laughs> I've never followed up on that. I honestly don't even know who's taken the recordings and, like, actually done anything with them. I don't work for too many people. I should follow up on that, but I really don't. <laughs> you pay me, I mix the really good recording, I get it off to you, and that's that's as far as I've generally been... Interested in, yeah. Because what happens if they go off and like make an album out of that? I mean, that's your. I'm good enough that they'll come to me if they want more. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, (laughs) but I mean, like, that's kind of like free advertising for you, though. Because what if somebody comes and they're like, "Hey, we love this album, and it was your album," and then like this other band saw it and they were like, "Oh man, we really want this person to record us," but we don't know how to always rep for you you know what i mean like especially if they're asked they'll always rep for you but i don't know i I don't know if bands just think out front to give credit to the engineer not always um especially not in the the recording world people are talking about that more because of like do you get your mastering credit do you get your mixing credit do you get those um your name on the product and what you've helped on and a lot of people don't and the argument is because we haven't made it a cultural thing yet like in photography it's cultural that it's it's part of their community that if a photographer shoots you you're going to credit them for their work um it's same thing with movies that's why you sit at the end of a marvel film until the Mm -hmm. end for that one clip or whatever and it's like every single person who's done anything on this film their name is somewhere in this list of like 15 minutes later you know it's not that long but it's like whatever (laughs) i feel like in general most people don't realize what a creative job mixing is though they think of it as a technical job and i mean it's not like you'd go and give credit to your car mechanic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if you were driving the Indy 500 or I don't know, I'm not a car person and your car mechanics, I mean, they keep your car on the road. They're the whole reason you're able to, to race. But you know, in the end of the, when they're thanking everybody, they're going to be like, and so-and-so is my mechanic. You know, that yeah. I feel like people kind of see sound engineers in that same way. Like they're the technical person that you know, uses technology and it's your creative product. And it is, I mean, you know, it's always the band's creative product. They wrote it, they performed it, but like you're also offering your creative interpretation and it it is your art. 
Otherwise, every engineer would be the same, and every album would sound the same. And they certainly do not. It's <laughs> not the same at all. No. If it were just a technical representation, then an engineer would be no better than their equipment. And I guarantee you, if I were given the most top-of-the-line recording studio to mix in, and I had the same album, and Chris Lord Algae went into like a home, my home studio, he could still mix a better album than I could. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Yeah, that's, that is a real point. Yeah. Oh, wait, so what about the argument now that people are coming up with about AIs being able to take over audio engineering jobs because oh, they're just like a... Soul. I didn't know that was a thing. No, you haven't heard those? <laughs> no. Oh, my goodness. So that's like a thing that's been like coming up in like articles and stuff. It's like um, people are programming AIs now. And so the concern is, for example, there was recently a, a, a thing that was done where they... Uh, programmed an AI to write compositions. Right. So they wrote uh, a symphony, orchestra, blah, blah, blah. It was this huge thing. It was great. People were like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing, right? But, of course, you know, AIs are only as strong as the people who program them and the artists who came before them. So, yes. you know, they they're only as good as... Innovative. Well, yeah, I guess they can in a in a sense yes. of the definition. Yeah, right? <laughs> Weird, right? And so now people are like, okay, well, you know, they're starting to automate more and more jobs with AIs. Like the trucking industry is going through this with um, they're getting more and more AIs that are coming in and trying to change that aspect of it. So now the next argument is people are like, well, what about audio engineers? Like, can we automate them out of jobs? And people feel like there's a possibility of that. Oh, I'd have to say there's definitely a possibility of that. I mean, it's all you can really do is, I mean, there you, you know, think there are still the purists that are like, the only way to record is is tape and the only medium is vinyl. You know, there will always be holdouts that are willing to, you know, they want that personal t- touch. I guess that's all you can hold out for. Otherwise, I'm throwing my bid in for being that person <laughs> that designs the AI, you know, tells it how to learn, man. I don't know. I'll adapt if I have to, but I feel like there will always be people that'll need, that'll want that human touch, yeah. you know. Yeah, because I know that there's like a software that somebody I read recently. Oh, gosh, what's the name of it? I wish I would remember these things and write them down. I'm so bad about that <laughs> side note. Like, I'd be like, oh, man, I read this thing on the Internet. And then I can never remember where I wrote it. And then I have to go look for it again. And I'm like, ah, when I'm talking to people, like, <laughs> that takes too long. You know, I'll just vaguely <laughs> reference it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'll put it in the show notes in this case. But um, <laughs> Because I, I can't think of it. But I remember reading an article where they were talking about uh, writing a software that would allow an AI to hear the sound, mix it based off of frequency recognition and what is too high versus too low, create a middle ground in this software for AI doing it. And then all that needed to be set up was like the band has to plug into the board. The software is on the board. Yeah. And then that's it. I guess my thing with that would be the only thing, the only difference is the computer could only do it right. And there are a lot of times that the only way to make things sound the way they should is to do things really wrong. You know, (laughs) like, yeah, I mean, like, otherwise they wouldn't have come up with the, like, distortion sounds. I mean, the only way, you know, like what a cool effect that was to be able to add and what a different element it added to music. But I mean, necessarily, you're not really supposed to do that to the equipment. Mm-hmm. So only by doing things wrong were you able to, like... Or, you know, there are times I'll get vocalists that are just really difficult. And 
I have to, the way my EQ looks is just never the way I would ever EQ anything in the normal, you know, but, but the only way to make it work the right way is to do it wrong. So I don't think a computer could do that. I think computers are great for assisting. Yeah. Like, I think that's about as good as that might get for audio engineers is because you have, you know, the presets and programs, right? But you mean you can slap a preset on until the cows come home, but that doesn't mean that, like, that's going to make your vocals for your track and your person the best vocals ever. It just means you slap the preset on it and maybe it changed it a little bit, you know? And, And I think that presets are great you know, for like a starting point, but they're not going to be everything, right? Yeah, you're always going to want to tweak. I think that's, that to me, at least, that's where I think when I think of like AIs coming in and stuff like that is like, they're going to be like your assistant. Like you're going to tell them what to do and then you're going to be like, okay, now go sit down in the corner, you know, and I'm going to do this thing over here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool if they could like automate the editing process. Be like, yeah, go ahead and go in here and like beat map for me and like... Mm -hmm fix the gain structure, you know, like set a parameter for where I want my gain to hit on everything. And then I go in and like actually tweak the fine, you know, the EQ and the like speed of the compressor or the, you know, threshold and all that stuff. I guess any of the creative decisions could be made by me, but shit. Yeah. Take my beat mapping away from me. That takes forever. (laughs) There are some things that you're just like, ugh, no. So tedious. That's why I'm live instead of studio, man. That's one of the reasons just so tedious live. It's just like, well, I have X amount of time to make this as perfect as it can be. It lasts while it lasts and then it's done. Yeah. You know, unless of course you're recording somebody. It was, it's never perfect. Yeah. It's just never, um, yeah. You just have like a deadline you're like, well, I guess I have to release it into the ether now. And then even still, you go back five years later, and you're like, man, what I could have done doing? this, 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 and this better. <laughs> oh, man. Wait, so, okay. Amanda, did you do both originally, like, when you started in audio? Yeah, I went to you school did... for studio. I never, okay. I I learned live sound and ended up in live sound on accident. So. Because I remember you got a the degree was, I remember you telling me about your paper that you wrote for your master's with the psychology of music and yeah, that, well, that was just uh, just a bachelor's of special honors. But oh, okay. yeah, to get the the honors, you had to write a thesis. But yeah, that was actually a philosophy degree. Oh, okay. That was one of those things where like, you know, I mean, I got the vocational degree, but I still always had my mom in the back of my head, like, get a bachelor's in anything. You just need to have that piece of paper. And I ended up with a philosophy degree, but I got to marry the two by writing uh, my thesis on the philosophy of sound and just like how sounds are actually, you know, how s- sounds are music and how how we interpret music. And then even as far as like how we interpret these sounds as music in such a way that it gives us an emotional response and that kind of thing. But no, I got a I got my vocational degree uh, in studio production. Mm. Was that? Before or after the psychology? Before. That was before psychology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I did the Army for a couple of years and got some GI Bill money, so yeah. got a couple of, you know, tried a whole bunch of things, got a couple of degrees out of it, one for funsies and one for worksies. <laughs> <laughs> one is real, one is not. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one is just a fun conversation point. Hey, but it but it is though. I mean, because I got a degree in applied mathematics, and people are like, "What are you gonna do with that with audio?" And I'm like, 
Well, first off, a lot. Number You'd one. Be surprised. Yeah. Calm down. Like math is everywhere. I think people forget that sometimes because yeah. they're like, you don't need math for audio. That's a feeling. And I'm like, um, actually, not really, though. Try measuring the delay between your satellites and your fills and your, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's all math. And people are like, well, did you need a degree for it? I'm like, probably not, but I'm better off for it. I'm definitely better off for having a degree of math than I would have been without it, for sure. Um, but I know, like, people always ask me, like, well, how is that going to relate? And I'm like, well, you know what? You don't have to see the relation. I had to see the relation. In that yeah, format. exactly. You know, and I so do you have that matters. with people with, with your, I mean, do people even know you have a psychology degree? Philosophy. Philosophy, I'm sorry, philosophy know. degree. I don't know. I think that's one of those things where, like, I accidentally go off on weird tangents that inevitably end up in Nietzsche or Sartre. And then I'm like, well, I should preface this with I have a philosophy degree, so I'm going to be terrible. <laughs> you don't want to have a prolonged, deep conversation with me. <laughs> no, I don't know if I really talk about that all that much. That is another one of those things where, like, I, I've kind of just developed the habit of not ever offering more information than is necessary, you know. So, no, I don't know. <laughs> I have a whole lot of weird shit people don't know about. I mean, not not a lot of people know about the military service or, you know, it's really? yeah, it's all sorts of Oh man, extra I feel so privy that. now. <laughs> like like the first time I met you, I learned all these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, Amanda got a story. Like well, a weird dang. side note that's just always kind of like it's, it's this has been an unfortunate side product of reading way too many Polonic books this year is that like everybody's got a story and they all just want someone to tell it to, but nobody really cares about yours, you know? So I've kind of, I, and it's kind of nice. It's kind of freeing. It's just like, well, you know, mostly I'm just like kind of a vessel and every, every experience I have with other people is a learning experience as opposed to a cathartic, like emotional dump. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it doesn't really matter. Most of the stuff I've done and have been through, sure, it like impacted who I am, but it's, it doesn't really, it doesn't pertain to what I'm doing now. And that's a lot of, I mean, tying it back into gaining respect as a female sound engineer is like, I have to continually refocus people on what we're doing now, what I am now. Like, especially when I started, one of the questions I'd always get, there's the two main questions is like, either, where's Dan? <laughs> Or how long have you been doing this? Yeah. And, you know, it's a lot of just refocusing people on, you don't even need to like dignify those questions with a response other than to be like, well, what's your input? What do you need from me? Like you have sound check from here to here. I'm going to throw your microphones on. I'll be ready in 10 minutes to open up lines, you know, mm -hmm. continually refocus and not having a lot of those extraneous facts to distract from the one benefit that you're trying to, provide for them right now kind of helps I feel but eventually there does come that point in one job where you have like the holiday party and you accidentally have one whiskey too many and then <laughs> all of a sudden everybody's asking you in the morning about your life and you're just like holy shit how do you know about that <laughs> who said that to you <laughs> I I think that's why I struggle though it's because I am just all the information always <laughs> like I I don't know I tried having a filter like, people used to tell me all the time, Tangela, you need a filter, you need a filter, you need a filter. I never had a filter, okay? Right. I was a kid running around saying stuff that you weren't supposed to be saying, okay? Oh, all so the I. adults were thinking <laughs> it, okay, but they didn't say it because apparently they had sense, whatever, okay? <laughs> and I was never that person. And so I remember, like, always just all the information, like, 
thoughts, feelings, yeah. like interpretations of life. I'd be like, so who are you really? Like, I am that person. Like, I want to know who people are really. And people are like, you don't really want to know who I am. And I'm like, no, but I do. And they're like, well, I don't want to tell you. And I'm like, well, why not? You have a story. And they're like, <laughs> what is happening right now? Yeah. So it's really funny that you say that because I feel like I'm like the complete opposite. I'm like that one friend who wants to know everything about you. But see, what's funny is I'm, I also was that up until it's probably like when I turned 30. But I mean, I'm still like that. Yeah. But that's the thing is like, I don't know, I guess I've streamlined things over the course of time. And like the people that whose life stories I want to hear most, I don't even have to ask about it. Like over time, they just kind of offer it to me and it makes it a lot more meaningful. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm even still like that. I want to know, I don't care about your everyday life. Like, tell me what makes you tick. Tell me the deepest, like, you know, what What do you want? What is What is your dream? Like, tell me all that stuff that matters. I mean, that's why I have a lot of acquaintances, but very few friends, because, like, there are very few experiences where, like, I really know what matters to you and who you really are as a person. But, I don't know, the more, the older I've gotten, and the combination of that and a a lot of really humbling experiences that have shown me like how little you actually matter on the cosmic scheme of things have changed my behavior on that, I guess. <laughs> oh my goodness. You sound like my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and then we tie back into the philosophy. Nothing matters on the grand scheme of things. Nietzsche Sartre. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> You said that, and I was like, Jeffrey? Like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is so, oh, my goodness. He is like that, too. He's like, why do we need to, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just want to know people yeah. and their stories, and well, I just. The only thing that matters in life is interpersonal connection. I think that that, in my own, like, weird philosophy mind, which I'm not a huge philosophy digger. Uh, I'm like not out here examining the cosmos like that, but it'll fuck up your life. (laughs) (laughs) But I did. One thing that I noticed is that with math and philosophy, there's an overlap in terms of how you interpret the things that are around you. The point of it all numbers is just like, like the, the theorems that you work through, all of that stuff is just philosophy in a different. Oh yeah. Logic is pure algebra. Like that's all it is. And so Yes, by the way, fun fact. I always love stuff like that. I always try to tell people about it, and they're like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. I can calculate all these things. If then <laughs> they can all be <laughs> like turned into mathematical statements that make them true or not. It's Logic was, God, that was difficult. But I really liked it. <laughs> logic is so much fun because logic falls into discrete math, and discrete yes. math was everything for me. Yeah. Like, just sit down and just be like, are these statements true or false? Are they like? Are you making like false fallacies? Because you can da- you can calculate that, my friend. Hell yeah, you That's can. A mathematical it's equation. A mathematical statement. <laughs> <laughs> like it's and it's amazing, and I love it with all of my heart. Um, I think that's why I enjoyed math so much because it was like the language that I could examine the the world in. You yeah. know. Side note: I think there's this book. I don't know how big you are on reading. I think I've read something like 19 books this month alone. Oh, yeah. I read a lot. <laughs> I want to show it to you because it's like, uh, where? Oh, I know. It's on my bookshelf behind you. I want to show it to you right quick because I think you would like it. Oh, cool. Oh, I wish I'd have seen this book when uh, when I was writing my thesis. 
he's uh, this professor who is in England. I think he's in, in, in the UK, sorry. I don't know if it's specifically England. But I have been loving this book so far. I'm like, it is music with math, and it's my heart. And I like... I was like, if I ever go back to school, I would want to study with this guy because this book is so cool. Also, fun fact, you can rent it from the library, which is where I got it from. That's, I, that's what I saw. <laughs> Man, I dig the library. The, the li- librarians are fabulous. They really are. Like, if you get the right librarian who has your subject, they can be everything. Oh, yeah. I feel like you would like this book, so you should check it out <laughs> after I return it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I don't know where we are anymore. About a decade. I've I've been a touring musician since I was sixteen. I mean, I was in a I was in a Christian band from like sixteen to eighteen, yeah. and we toured for a while. And like, yeah, we had we had a lot of fun. Um, at the time, like I could barely be bothered to carry my own shit in much less set it up so the idea of being a tech person I was like fuck that I don't want to know anything about that that's not my job (laughs) and then I did you know the army band for three years and we we toured most of the country so I had the like musician experience of it for a long time and then I don't don't know well I I, I was out of the army struggling for work trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a living and I was writing music because I've, I've just kind of always written music. And I was like, well, I'm going to get this little like Tascam four track recorder, see if I can start laying my own music down. And the more I started doing that, I was like, well, I kind of want to learn about this because nothing I'm putting down sounds like I want it to sound. And uh, <clears throat> eventually ended up like I was at San Antonio College at the time. And I just for shits and giggles wanted to take an RTF class, specifically one on like radio, and it gave you the chance to be a DJ for a little while that semester. So I got my start learning, you know, soundboards and that kind of shit. And I'm like, this is really cool. But I had to, the way my GI Bill worked, I had to actually switch degrees to RTF to take that class. So then I was like, man, this is really cool, and decided I wanted to go to the studio. So I found the Recording Conservatory of Austin and yeah, it was just, uh, it's 10 years, about 10 years I've been doing this. Yeah, pretty close. Been a long time. Definitely, uh, you know, at the start it wasn't full-time. I mean, it was just a supplement while I was getting through school. And I never in a million years thought it would be something I could make a full-time living at. And it's still frequently, like, I just have this moment where I'm driving to work or, like, I'm in the middle of a Monday, you know, floating on a kayak in the middle of Lady Bird Lake. And I'm just like, man... I'm so lucky. Like I, you know, I get to make a full time living at this. It's I get to spend my days just like playing out in the sun. is It's perfect. It's everything I could have ever wanted from a career that I had no idea even existed. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. Do you still do music though? Like, do you still play or anything like that? Mm. Well, <laughs> really? No, not really. I mean, I don't know. I kind of lost my. I lost all my teenage angst. So like. <laughs> And then I studied philosophy, and I realized nothing I have to say matters. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I uh, I teach guitar. Well, I switched to bass recently. I teach bass with the girls' rock camp every summer. Uh, so, you know, then I, I play a bit. And I uh, I joined uh, one of the bands from girls' rock camp for a little while. I played bass with them. But it's been quite a while since I've played the saxophone. It's, yeah. I don't know. I just... Yeah, live sound is so much fun. <laughs> it really is. And I just, I, uh, 
it's it's definitely the predominant priority of my life. I just really haven't made time for it. And then I picked up all sorts of weird extra habits like yoga and kayaking that just kind of took priority. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I like these other things better. (laughs) Like everything else is better. (laughs) That's awesome. It's funny because I still love playing the sax and I I think I should get into it. I'm I'm nervous about playing and now I'm finally living in a house so I could practice and I wouldn't be bothering people. But now I'm just like, oh, my fiance is going to hear me and judge me. And even though she's been dying for me to play it for her. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should. I don't know if I'd ever write again, but it would be fun to play like with a, you know, some local symphony or something like that just for fun. Like just for shits and giggles. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But did your fiance do music too or she played euphonium in high school. She was a drum major. She's uh she works with the government now. Oh. Not really. <laughs> Not really. There's no music there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I find that a lot of people that I've met uh, got into audio from music. Yeah. And I definitely think that um, I've met a lot of people who've been like, I am better off for it. Oh, hell yeah. For sure. Why do you think that is? That you're better off for it being a musician first? Well, so one thing I, I've always kind of contended was the most important thing I learned in production school was to have a vocabulary to describe what I was hearing. Because you can't really understand the difference in what you're hearing unless you have the right vocabulary to, like, I don't know, kind of create those equivalent mental structures in your head. Mm-hmm. So coming into production as a musician, you already kind of know what you're listening for. You know what you want to hear. You may not know why or what's making it happen, but you know what sounds right and you know it doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference is you've just you've already got that understanding of how it wants to sound and that and like having the experience as a touring musician, I have a lot of empathy for the musicians that come through. Like, I know what you're going through. I know you're tired and you're frustrated. And this is the fifth gig you've had to play this week in the fifth city. And you're, you know, Mm -hmm. so it, it, it also gives me a a unique approach to the musicians I get to work with. And that like, I understand their needs Mm -hmm. better than someone who didn't have that experience would. Do you think it's possible to develop that though? Oh, most certainly. And I watch it happen all the time. For sure. I th- it takes longer. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why do you think it takes longer? Because you just, you're not there, and so it's it takes longer to be in contact with people, or what? I, I think, I guess it's more, it's still about developing that vocabulary. It just takes you longer because you don't have any pre-existing ideas of, you know, like, ah, that was one of the first things, like, they were talking about you know, how to know if a sound is warm versus harsh or crispy or crunchy, like all these milky, all these weird descriptions that people use to describe sounds. And like someone that has previous music experience can kind of recall those quicker and be like, I understand what you're saying by warm versus harsh. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I think it takes more time for somebody that's not a musician to learn to correlate those, what you're wanting to hear from what you're actually hearing, you know? What do you think is the best way to go about learning it then? Listen or, to a lot of music and talk to a lot of musicians. Yeah? Yeah. Just like, hey, we're going to talk about this. Try to, yeah, and let's figure out what you like about, you know, like listen and be like, ah, I really like this album. What is it that I like about it? You know, what is it that I like about the way it sounds? And then talk to musicians. And I, like I have a lot of those conversations with people. Like 
you know, when the, I'm always a closet Dave Matthews fan, but when the new Dave, Dave Matthews album came out, like the very first thing I did was reach out to my musician friends be like, what did you think? Like, oh my God, that drum production in the second song and the, the guitar panning, you know, and you start to realize like, oh, this is how these people create this stereo image. And it's the stereo image that makes it sound more full. And, you know, then you start to like correlate those ideas. That makes sense. I was not one of those people. I did not grow up with music. I mean, I, 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 I grew up with music, like listening to it. I did not play any instruments, uh, other than what they made us play at school. Like, you know, it was not like, what was that weird little dude with the recorder? (laughs) Fun fact, I had a purple one. Okay. I thought I was so cool with my clear purple recorder. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's still in a drawer somewhere at my mom's house. Uh, (laughs) Those things, I'm pretty sure that's just a practical joke. Teachers play on parents. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to teach your kids how to play an instrument. (laughs) We're going to send them home with them too. (laughs) It's going to be the worst sounding instruments. That could possibly exist. And you're going to hate us, but it's okay. Because <laughs> you have to do with your little demon children all day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we didn't decide it was bongos week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, because I remember I got into audio because when I was at church, I was chilling, living my best life, doing nothing. I was sitting there all day because I wanted to be at church so badly, yeah. but we lived so far away that like, it wasn't feasible for me to do both activities, the morning and the afternoon. So my mom was like, you have to choose one or the other. Or you can stay at church all day. Yeah. And so I stayed at church all day. Yeah. And so uh, when the evening time came for that activity, for the next activity, um, our youth pastor was like, well, do you want to help me set this stuff up? And I was yeah. like, I'm not doing anything else, I guess. And, then, <laughs> and it snowballed from there. Yeah, that's, that's how the career usually goes. Me. It's all a snowball from a weird small start. Yeah. And so, but I didn't do music. And so I remember like the struggle was real for me because I was, first off, I was around people who didn't know anything, right? Like they were like, how do you become a sound engineer? Like, how do you make this your living? And they would say, you just buy some equipment and slap some stuff together and there you go. And I was like... The only response I ever got was you have to, you just have to be lucky. You have to be in the right place at the right time and know the right people. And unfortunately, I can corroborate that statement. Really? Is that how you just have to be lucky? And it's just one, you just need one break and then it snowballs from there. And like like I said, my, my first break was an accident. I was one of those like, shit, the first half of my career was fake it till I make it. I mean, up till like two or three years ago, I just, I can admit this now because I know every board now, but. I mean, I'd interview for a job, and they'd be like, cool, do you know how the Yamaha CL3 works? I'd be like, hell yeah, I do. And then I would like watch eight hours of YouTube videos before I'd go into the venue, never having touched the board in my life. Uh, you know, and you make it work. But yeah, that was a real accident. I was like a production volunteer through the school that I went to. It was a unique job in that, like, you know, it was South by. So it wasn't just like I was just a runner. Like, I actually got to have hands on the equipment. I didn't really know anything about live sound, but I knew how a patch bay worked. So the engineer was like struggling to set up. And I was like, well, sh- show me where things need to be patched and I'll at least get your wires patched for you. And so he got the mistaken idea that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and I didn't correct him. So, <laughs> and then I kind of just, I became friends with him. You know, turned out he was from Austin and moved to Denver. I was from Denver and moved to Austin. We became friends. It was actually Macklemore and Ryan Lewis the day they went number one on the Billboard charts for Thrift Shop. And so he gets the show set up, does the sound check, 
and the show starts and he turns to me and says, I'm hungry. I'm going to go eat. You got the board? And I was just like, sure. I know what I'm doing. And I just, I got lucky that as I was pushing faders, trying to adjust things, the like big wigs of South by walked by and were just like, you, you know what you're doing. Will you go to the, at the time the parish had the little venue underneath the parish underground. They were like, the chick there who turned out to be Chris Payer was like, she needs some help. We didn't give her a stage manager. Will you go help her out? So I helped her out. And from there, they were like, well, then now they need you at the brass house. Will you help there? And I'm like, sure. And the brass house ended up being my, like, t- my first venue, my first full-time venue. And spent two years there. Got to know musicians real well. Word of mouth got around. And here I am. But it was an accident that got, <laughs> got me there. I had no idea what I was doing, but I wasn't going to correct him. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> Why would I ever correct somebody on me not knowing what the heck I'm doing? Like, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. I'm going to smile and nod and say yep. things like, yeah, okay, gotcha. Yep. Sure enough. Google, how do you do? <laughs> what the hell is a loom? <laughs> I remember doing that once. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was I was interning um, with the Texas Ballet Theater, and I was sound designing. I was a sound design intern, and I was sitting there, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing, and the my the guy I was interning under, he like left to go to the restroom or something, and they were like, oh, cool, you, you're doing this. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> we're doing this, because I was sitting at the computer, like, like I knew it. He like gave me an assignment to be working on, and apparently in their minds that equated to I was working. <laughs> and so then they were like, oh, cool, well, will you come back for this, this, and this? And I was like, yes. Yes, I yes, will. I will. I will. I will sound design <laughs> for you. <laughs> Whatever that means. Like, I, like I had Fake no, you make it, dude. no it's clue. It's a real thing. <laughs> Confidence will get you real far in this job. Yeah, I think that's probably some of the best advice I've ever had, though. Yeah, was but not over exaggerated. Like, yeah, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie to people. But also, and that's the thing is, it's not really a lie. If they're like, well, she clearly knows what she's doing, and I don't fuck up, and I it ends up getting done, then, like, it wasn't really a lie. Like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured it out, yeah. you know? That's been, that's been the number one skill that I have that's made me successful at this career is I'm a real fast learner. Mm-hmm. Very motivated to learn. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever want to do anything else other than live sound? Oh, I wanted to be a rock star my entire life, as long as I could think. I wanted to be a professional musician. And then I was one in the army, and I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, that's not funny. This is really terrible, and it made me hate what I love to do the most. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah, it but really was. Like, Okay, but being a live sound engineer, did you ever want to do anything other than live sound? I mean, in terms of like in audio, but not necessarily live sound. Oh, yeah, like- then I wanted to be a famous studio producer. You know, live sound was like the very last idea I had in my mind of something I'd want to do. And then after ending up in that first, just like, Man, the energy that's in a show and the just, I don't know, the camaraderie and the things that you can create and the way you can create it live as opposed to the studio. I just, I fell in love instantly. And yeah, after my first time, I was like, there's no way I will ever want to do anything other than this. Yeah. So you don't have that. Because, you know, I mean, a lot of people who are like, um, they have multiple things that they want to do. Like they love audio. But they love audio in multiple capacities. Right. Right. And so they're like Like I wanna do audio for a movie eventually or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And I wanna I wanna do a movie, but I also wanna do like a radio show, but then I also wanna do like, you know, live sound, mm-hmm. you know? 
And so I think it's really interesting that you're like, no, nah, this is this That's is it. the one thing this I want to do. One thing, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. then you also meet the people who are like, I'm doing live sound, but I really just want to go on tour. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even that. Like, and I consider that all the time. It's just like you know, it would be cool to link up with a band. Like, I would love that. I would love to be like their engineer and like really make it sound perfect and get to that point. But I also just I love being a house guy. I love I love being the one that like I get to see all the bands as they come through. I build relationships with local artists and then like my friends that I work for at every venue I've ever been to, then next thing I know I'm running into them on the giant ACL stage and we're just like, "Bro, you remember when we were at Sahara together?" You know what I mean? <laughs> like <laughs> look at what we've done, you know? And that's just that's an experience you can't get by being linked up with one band. Is there a band that you would want to? Like, like if they came to you and they were like, Amanda, we want you to go on tour with us. Are we talking local or international or like national? Any band in the world that you are just like, if you said this, I'm going with you. No thoughts about it. I think the Mowgli's would be one, but locally, and I've told them this. <laughs> and if you guys ever get to the point where you've got the budget, Sailor Poon, man, I'm all yours. Really? Yeah, hell Yeah. <laughs> They are an interesting band. They are amazing. <laughs> they are an interesting band. Oh, my also goodness. Jackie Vincent. If Jackie, but she's got Mike Manowitz right now, who is like, I mean, he was on the like best the list for top four best sound engineers in Austin. Like, like Mike is the shit. Yeah. So you know, it's hard to compete with that. But yeah, if Jackie Vincent ever wanted me, I'd yeah, she's <laughs> I have amazing. mad respect for her. She is amazing. I I quite like her a lot. She's one of those ones that I got. God, she may have still even been a teenager when I first worked for her at the Brass House. She and Soul Man Sam and Birdleg brought her in. I was like, "Holy shit, this girl's got a voice!" And yeah, I just I watch her grow on bigger and bigger stages and bigger and bigger tours. Yeah. And that's what's really fun to see in this job. Yeah. So watch people succeed and to be part of that. You know, like at one point I gave you a good show, and maybe that gave you the confidence to reach for better. You know, I mean, maybe that's reaching a little far, but I don't think so. I did I think get that's... to be a part of it. You know. I think that's a fair thing to say, though. I think that there are a lot of people who will drop things because they had a bad experience, but they didn't realize it was just one experience and that yeah. there could be something better out there yeah. if you just stick with it, yeah. right? Like, they're like, oh, I did this once and it wasn't for me. And it's like, well, maybe that, that, that those group of people weren't for you. Maybe that room wasn't for you. Yeah. Maybe you know? that one engineer was just, he was having a day. Yeah. And so I think that there's a real possibility that people... Like they hear or they go into these rooms and we're doing our sound or whatever. And like, you know, you have the ability to have like that kind of positive aspect, that positive effect on them. Yeah. Well, I don't like to settle either. A lot of a lot of engineers will just be like, it's good enough. We can go. But, you know, if I'm sound checking and they seem like, how does that sound in your wedge? And they seem unsure or especially if they say it's good enough, like I'm not really happy with good enough. Like what specifically could I do that will make you be like, this is stellar, you know, and like. Just kind of one musician at a time debunking the myth, the, well, it's not really a myth because it's very true, but the like idea that it's sound engineers versus musicians and it should never be like that. Like it's, you know, and I hear that all the time. Like I had a band come in recently and the singer was like, can I use a 57 for my vocal instead of a 58? And I was like, yeah, actually I experimented with that recently and I liked the way it sounded. Let's do it. And, uh, you know, I laughed and I was like, I would probably do it more often if musicians didn't look at look at me funny and ask me why I was doing it. 
And he was like, it's funny because it's the same with me and engineers. Like, I don't frequently do it because the engineer gives me a funny look. Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, it shouldn't be like that. It's my job to make what you want happen within the extent of my capabilities. You know? So if that's EQing a really terrible fucking mic because you think it looks cool, then I'm going to fucking do it. You know? (laughs) I do hate those sometimes. (laughs) This mic sounds like garbage. God, yeah. It sounds like an old radio mic. And I don't know if that's what you're going for or not, but I have a feeling it's not. (laughs) Yeah, like nobody knows what you're saying right now. Um, how, How do you address when you have those sort of issues, though, where people come in with stuff and you're like, this isn't going to sound good. Do you just like There's accept only... that in that mind and then just be like, let them do what they do? Or do yeah. you like, or unless they ask you otherwise or? Yeah. So there's only one experience in my whole career I've ever asked a musician to switch his mic for mine. And he came in at the beginning and was like, I'm just kind of testing this mic. I really want your opinion on it. Let me know how you feel. And we did a whole set with it. And that mic was a nightmare. Like it was an absolute like nightmare. It was just, it was feedback central. There was nothing I could do with it. It just like, it had two, I mean, it was a tiny stage to start and it just had too big of a pickup pattern. And like, if I have the gain at a normal volume and I can hear the audience better than I can hear you, that's a bad mic. So it, he did ask my opinion and I was like, no, please let me switch this back out for my Telefunken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean... And I've had like, that's one of those situations where like, you have to do things wrong to make it sound right. There are some mics that I just, I would never, ever have a vocal EQ that looked like that, but that's how that mic needs to work, you know? So you don't ever tell people? You just... That's not my job. It's my job to make, within the extent of my ability, to make what you want happen, happen. And I'm a good enough engineer that I can figure out the EQ of a shitty mic to make you sound passable. Interesting. Some people have different ideas on that. Some people oh, are like, certainly. <laughs> some people are like, no, this sounds like garbage. Give me another microphone. Like, we're not doing this today. So it's interesting that that's sort of like the attitude that you take to that. Well, so there are two different kinds of engineers, in my opinion. I can't remember who introduced this idea to me first. I feel like it was Josh, my stage manager. He was like, there are engineers that are ego driven, and there are engineers that are show driven. The good engineers are show driven, and that means my job is not to serve my own ego or to make it easier. Because yeah, I'm cheap and I'm, you know, I can't work on the fly and I'm not professional or flexible enough to like work with what you want. So we'll only do what I want, but I'm show driven, which means my predominant responsibility other than making it sound good is to make the artist happy. And that's, that's it. So like if you're used to your shitty sounding mic and that's the one you want to use and you're happy with how it sounds, that's what we're going to do. It's like the punk bands that come in with like you know, a kick drum with the porthole ripped all the way open. It's like, they just want a shitty sounding drum kit. So you work the best with what you can, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've seen some of those. Oh yeah. You're like, what are you doing? Okay. So, okay. For example, let's say you have a place that's like a house. That's now a venue, (laughs) right? And then people come in with these giant stacks of amps for this teeny tiny room that you're just like, fam, no. (laughs) Your amps are bigger than my PA. (laughs) Yes, okay. You you don't say anything to them if they do their amps that way and they're like, and they're like, hey man, I need more in the monitor. And you're like, there is no more to give you. Or, you know, they're like, hey, 
the audience can't hear my vocals. And you're like, yeah, because your amps are way too loud and you should probably turn them down. Like you don't ever like tell people stuff like that or do you just I'm like pretty good at tricking musicians with relative perception as opposed to volume mm. so a lot of the time you know they're like that because they'll come in and be like i want all the guitar in my monitor and i can't hear my vocal and like if they knew what you were doing they'd be like no don't do that but you turn down the guitar instead of turning up the vocal and they're like oh that's great you know a lot of the time it's just relative perception they don't actually need all of what they think they need in the wedge and I also have some really fancy tricks I under my belt that I use, like parallel compression and like doubling the channel, one that's not sent to the monitors or, you know, I have a lot of really weird compression tricks that I use. You know, a lot of the time I can at least compete. Most of the time, if they don't care, chances are their audience doesn't either and all they really want to hear is guitar anyway. I don't really make a professional habit of telling my my guitarist to turn down unless it's like a corporate event and they want the band to play lower than conversation level. And then at that point I'm like, we got to turn down. But if it's a show, show, no, I don't really make a habit of telling people to turn down. We deal with it. Yeah, I have one last question when you find what you're looking for. Sure. Um, my question is, so for people who have, who are just getting started and they are trying to uh, make audio in any capacity, their full-time job, but they haven't quite got there yet. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, uh, what advice do you have for people who are trying to find that balance of other jobs to subsidize their living with, this is what I actually really want to be doing and I'm trying to get there? So a lot of times I really find that like, uh, it's mostly about expenditures. So there are a lot of people that just they complain that they're not making enough money, but they're also drinking every night and they're, you know, they've got a new tattoo every week and stuff. And like, it depends on how dedicated you are. You know what I mean? There were there were two years where I ate ramen and I, you know, I lived in the shittiest apartment possible, but I didn't do any other job. I just worked sound and Man, there are just there are so many opportunities locally. Hustle hard, believe in yourself. Sometimes, you know, Take a cut on your expenditures and your cost of living and make it work. Believe in yourself, you know, follow what you actually think is going to matter and make friends. Uh, you make enough friends. Oh God, this is one of the, especially Austin, this is one of the most supportive communities I have ever worked in. People that will like recommend each other to jobs or like you build little networks. And when I can't work here, you're going to be the first person I throw the job to, uh, hang out, you know, with local engineers They're people all the time that just they come to the bar often and eventually they end up making friends with me and eventually they end up sitting in the booth with me and kind of picking up shit and now they're front of house engineers at their own venue you know so just yeah make friends and make it work yeah. make sacrifices if you have to otherwise be tired <laughs> make it work you know if that means you have to work five to two and then get up and do nine to five, man, give yourself a day or two off here and there, but, and try to make it as, you know what I mean? Like, don't make it a lot of longevity to it. You know, don't, it's not just going to be this way forever. Give yourself a like, if I don't have this kind of job by then, then I need to kind of settle back more into this one, or I need to cut back on my living expenses to actually make this a priority. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I became a sub. <laughs> yeah. You know, because then, at least for me, that was like the easiest way of doing it. Because, 
you know, you pick up subbing whenever you want. You drop subbing yeah. whenever you want. Plus, I like math. Yeah, and there's so subbing. many similar jobs. Like, yeah. gig culture is gig culture. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, you can find gig-related type jobs. I mean, merch seller. You could be a stagehand, stage manager, even, like, production. You know what I mean? There are all sorts of ins in the gig culture to make it work. Cool. Well, thank you for being here. I Thanks really appreciate me. it. I'm so excited for this. Yeah. So weird though, but I'm excited. Yeah. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> cool.